1: Ah, listen to that. Nothing beats a vinyl. Some technology just stands the test of time. Our technology not only brings the cool, it also brings the heat. At Mitsubishi Electric, we've been mastering and innovating heat pump technology since 1970. EcoDan, continued innovation in heating for home and business. Mitsubishi Electric, changes for the better. Thank you Each episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast will contain descriptions of acts of violence or of a sexual nature and are for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast, and I'm Woody Overton, your host. Before we get started today, I want to give some shout-outs. The first or to our newest patron members. The first one is they call themselves maybe the best dog in the world. And they pledge to the $10 a month for tier three and maybe the best dog in the world would really, really appreciate you and hope you enjoy all the benefits, which as you know, probably, and if you don't know, I'm going to tell you real quick, that includes the, bonus episode of Real Life Real Crime that's locked up for tier three members. It also includes the mini episode, which comes out once a month, which tier two and three members get. It includes your 30% discount in the merchandise store, the Real Life Real Crime store, and the Phone number for the real life, real crime hotline where you call in and, and say anything you want or ask anything you want, and I'll be including that in future episodes. And you get listed on our website as a contributor, etc. And I'm, I'm sure there's some more stuff that I'm forgetting. But anyway, thank you. Maybe the best dog in the world. We appreciate you being a patron member, and we really, really do appreciate you. The second. New patron member, we have is the Firebird, bird being spelled B Y R D at gmail.com. And they signed up for tier two. You know, Firebird, we really appreciate you, and you will be, as well as maybe the best dog in the world, we'll be sending you the key to unlock. Uh, last month's mini episode and maybe the best dog in the world you'll get the key to unlock the bonus episode also but firebird we really appreciate you pledging and you get your discount in the store and the real life real crime hotline number and the mini episode and other benefits and we really appreciate you supporting the show and supporting us It means a lot. And to all our patron members now, we appreciate each and every one of you. You know that. We we contact you personally and let you know. But I just want to say it again on air. It means a lot to us. I want to give another shout-out, y'all, to Miss Jenny White. Her and her husband sent me my first
2: fan mail.
1: And if you were watching, my wife Cindy and I went live from the Canal Bank Club, which is featured in the first part of Over... The second part of Overkill, but we went live there for just a little bit, playing around on Saturday. In that video, we showed the card that Jenny and her husband sent, and it contained a really sweet message, but it contained these coins, these hand-engraved coins, which are amazing. I'd never seen anything like it. He took our, our logo of Real Life, Real Crime and engraved it on some 50 cent pieces and then they did some smaller coins with really cool designs and i was blown away by him and he's going to be doing some we're trying to work out a deal where he'll do some where we could put some for merch in our store but if you watch the video and you like them, go to eBay and search j period w period hand carved coins and filter through and the, the ones that are done by j period w period are amazing And those are his and certainly worth taking a look and really meant a lot to get that in, Jenny. We really appreciate you. That was super cool. And real quick, y'all, our merchandise, man, we got some cool, cool shirts in this week. The Cindy and I had on a couple for the video that we did from the Canal Bank on Saturday. But then on Sunday, we picked up... I think four new designs and lots of different colors and she worked hard and got them posted to the store, but check them out, man. They are some kind of cool. Like I said, the new designs, the first shirts were the fast mic with real life, real crime on them. And these are the ones with the thumbprint. It just, you have to see it to believe it. They're awesome. So, but we appreciate each and every one of our listeners from across the world. I think last time when, when we started, or I was recording last week. I think we were like 17,000 downloads. Well, guess what? Today we're hitting 22,000 downloads and we have people from 64 countries across the world. I think last week it was 51 countries across the world. Now, how crazy is that? I mean, all these people tuning in just to hear me tell a story man and man man is something awesome y'all we appreciate each and every one of you fans and sharing it and you know i see things on facebook and groups that people i've never met i don't have any idea who they are but it's awesome to see it and see the support and we're growing because y'all are sharing and liking us and telling people about us and y'all don't forget to check out our private page on facebook real life real crime podcast friends and fans crew And we have 573 members now. And when, I guess, just short of eight weeks ago, we had three. So it's blowing up. We have what we call the dream team of moderators and administrators, y'all. They're awesome. If you're not a member, send us a request and we'll get you approved and get you in there's so much inter- fan interaction and so much cool stuff being posted and we post a lot and interact a lot and there's a lot of bonus material on the episodes et cetera. And, you know i think if you're a fan of real life real crime then you'd be doing yourself a service by joining that page because you'll get a lot more out of it. it's really 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 cool but thanks stream team and with that we're going to get started with episode two of overkill Now, when I left you last, I had told you about Rhonda Rose Lambert and what led up to us attempting to find her, to question her about a murder case. Now, it started for me at the Canal Bank Club when Rhonda Rose Lambert had come in and picked out a guy and made out with him at the bar, et cetera, and then the bar closes, she goes outside and sitting on the golf cart with him, they're making out and really into it. And then he said she started crying and she started boo-hooing. He's like, Sha, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? And she said, my husband died. And he said, oh, Shad, I'm so sorry to hear that. When did that happen? I'm so sorry for your loss. And she said, tonight, motherfucker. And then she beat him with a bottle, which put him in the hospital, which led to us ultimately getting a warrant for her arrest for – aggravated second-degree battery when he picked her out of a photo lineup. Now, that came after the next day there was a dead body reported, and the victim was identified as Russell Perry, and it was known that Rhonda Lambert was living with Russell Perry like common-law, husband and wife, if you will. So when the victim's brother found him, he was able to tell the lead detectives on that case that she was missing, and that's how we came up with the suspect, which was Rhonda Lambert, because she had driven the golf cart to the canal bank in the where the, the cabin where the victim was found. Russell Perry was found, was on the island where you could only get to by the golf cart, plus she told the aggravated second-degree battery victim that her husband had died that night, right? So we, anyway, go back and listen to the episode without rehashing too much. So we're on the hunt for Rhonda Rose Lambert in trying to gather evidence for the murder charge. And the lead detectives on the case contacted Brookhaven PD in Mississippi because that's where Rhonda Lambert was from. I think it's Lincoln County, Mississippi. And it just so happened that their chief of police knew the Lambert family and said he would try to make contact with Rhonda. During the meantime, the autopsy was scheduled for Mr. Perry, and the lead detectives on the case went to Seal Funeral Home in Denham Springs, Louisiana, and if you are a tier three patron member, you get to hear the bonus episode that we released last week for the month of March, and it describes an autopsy in graphic detail. Well, it's the same place that that autopsy happened also, but so the the autopsies for Livingston Parish are, were done at the time in a small building behind the funeral home. And the, this is the building where they kept the bodies and prepared them for funerals, et cetera. But they also had coolers and they would keep the bodies that were under investigation for homicide, or, um, et cetera. So the detectives show up for the autopsy. And then the forensic pathologist arrives, and, again, he's he's probably the smartest guy I ever met. And I, I tell about him in depth in the bonus episode from last month for Tier 3 members. But super, super cool guy, been doing it a long time, super, super smart, knows what he's doing, right? So, they, you anyway, know, they show up, and the autopsy room is in the back corner of that building and where they have the table, and the— As a detective, you'll show up. The body bag's on the table, and it's sealed. The term tag-em and bag-em, that comes from when the detectives work the crime scene. And once the Louisiana State Police Crime Lab gets done processing the scene, and they're finished, then the body is put in a body bag, a black body bag, and then they seal it with an evidence lock. And that lock is photographed, and it's noted who's there. And they seal it until the time of the autopsy. And that's done so defense attorneys can't come back and say somebody planted evidence or, you know, when you're moving the body so you don't pick up any trace evidence, it doesn't get stuck to the body. Anything that can mess up the case or, or point it in a wrong direction or ultimately be used against the detectives working the case or law enforcement or prosecution. So they, they seal the bag tag it and ship it to the funeral home and right before the autopsy it's brought out of the cooler and put on the table now the detectives arrive the pathologist arrives in the corner assistant coroner, is there and they cut the tag and open it and take the body out of the bag and if he has any clothing on or they have any clothing on it's photographed and then they cut the clothing off and then they start the autopsy process which again it's It's a lengthy process, and it's probably the most invasive thing, y'all, that can be described. But for the purpose of today's episode, I'm going to kind of fast forward into the pertinent part of the autopsy. Now, the pathologist works the body from the head down, trying to determine cause of death and photographing any injuries or wounds or bruising or collecting any uh, type of evidence, whether it's hairs or semen samples whatever so but to start with the top and he has a bone saw but it's just it's a handheld saw with a round blade on the top and the blade only spins when it's touching something so i guess it's like a vibrating saw and they i guess i'll go ahead and describe it again the first thing they do is they wr- ring the scalp the head of the, the scalp and peel the skin of the head the top of the head over the front of the face and and let it hang okay so now you have the top of the skull exposed and then he takes that saw and he makes a cut all the way around and then y'all it's worse sound it's it's worse than being in the dentist's office listening to the drill And what's even worse than that, when they're cutting, he's actually cutting bone, and it puts like a bone dust in the air, and it has a certain burning smell that I just can't describe. But anyway, it goes, and it cuts all the way around. But even after he's done cutting, there's still a suction on on the top of the skull. And so they take, I guess. It's
0: springtime, boys. The grass is green, the birds are chirping, and the kids will be out of school soon. That makes it the perfect time to plan a family vacation.
1: No English translation, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. Intuitive process? You pick up a language naturally. Designed for long-term retention. Speech recognition. The true
2: accent feature is like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone? day sayonara. sayonara shout out to AstroPro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples my allergies are throwing my whole morning off do i sound different to you,
1: <laughs> I love that. you sound like
2: <laughs> it's that time of year there bro i sound different to me i feel like i'm in a submarine yeah well have you tried AstroPro? it's faster bro oh. all right astro Pro is the first of its
1: kind nasal allergy spray a chisel and a hammer thing. And he has to go around and pop it pop and hit it a couple of times and then break the seal. And when it breaks the seal, it goes, and it was actually, I mean, if you've ever heard it, you would never forget it. I'll tell you that. But let me say this, y'all, if you're queasy or easily offended or whatever, this turn this part off because it's fixing to get graphic. Um, So they pop the top of the skull off and then they take the brain out and look at it see if there's any bruising or bleeding or, Anything that's not normal, and and they worked their way down, right? So they did it on Mister Perry, and again, I wasn't there, but I know, you know I was told afterwards the the pertinent details, so that uh, he would have worked his way down. And when when it came to the chest area, there, I mean, there was no doubt as to what killed him. And each wound is individually photographed and measured by the pathologist, and y'all, it was bad on on uh, Mr. Perry. He had was officially listed as at least 10 stab wounds to his chest and upper torso. Now, probably, I think the pathologist said it probably could have been as high as 27 stab wounds. But the problem with that is when someone's standing over you and they're stabbing you repeatedly and with such force, it's not like you're you're stabbing into a stick of butter where it's going to go straight through and you stab into the human body the chest area you're going to hit the sternum or some ribs or whatever unless you get lucky and it just slides in between because you're coming down with such force right and if you get lucky and it slides in between the ribs i mean that maybe one out of the 10 stab wounds that, that could have been right, but the rest of them, if you're standing directly over a person stabbing them repeatedly again and again and again, it's not like you're aiming for a bullseye on the body, you are trying to kill them. But when you stab through and you hit the bone, it's going to go in and it's going to you know, the knife's going to slide one way or the other, and it's just a really, really violent deal. Now let's talk about it for a second because Rhonda Lambert was five foot. 100 pounds right I mean small tiny and Mr. Perry was a pretty big guy much much larger than her and he was found in his bed in the cabin with the covers pulled up to his neck so Rhonda Lambert had to crawl on top of him and stab him to death now I don't know what or if anything, maybe maybe she got lucky and and killed him on the first shot. But he must have been really intoxicated or, or had some type of something in his system that had him really knocked out. Because I don't care how tired I am, If you start stabbing me in the chest, I'm going to wake up. But the problem with that is, is Mr. Perry didn't have any defensive wounds on his hands, nothing significant anyway. In the every case I've ever worked on a stabbing victim where they were facing the attacker and they were awake. They always have really bad slashes to the hands, and that's because they're reaching and grabbing for the knife. If somebody's stabbing you, you know, you don't care how sharp the knife is at that time. You're just trying to stop it from getting you, and that wasn't there. So it tells me Perry was asleep or knocked out or whatever, And but she's on top of him and hits him at least 10 verifiable times, but maybe as high as 27. Okay, think about it. Think about how much violence and up close and personal force that takes to do that kind of damage and what you're thinking. Think about it now. It's not one or two or three. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I mean, this—that's this, ten stabbing in, and then you got to pull it back out and come back up to full swing and stab it in again ten times at least, as, as possibly as high as twenty-seven. Now think about that—how much violence is that? And up close and personal, that's a bad way to go. But hopefully, he was asleep and. And didn't feel it, but the autopsy showed that he died from those stab wounds, the multiple stab wounds to the chest, at least ten, but probably much, much, much higher. And then when you stab him with that kind of force, that knife is going to skid. It's going to hit bones, and you know some of them will make it through and penetrate the organs. But that's just that was a very vicious, violent death, and we know that's how he died. Right, and so think about when you stab someone and when you penetrate the body with force like that, you get blood splatter. Okay, now, blood splatter is when you penetrate and you, you make the entry wound, if you will, the first blood that comes out is moving at a slower rate than the rest of the blood that's coming behind it because the first blood had to get past the skin and the knife or whatever it is. So that first drops or the first mist of drops are coming out at a slower rate. The rest of it is unimpeded because the skin is no longer there. So it's coming out at a higher rate. So it catches up to the first blood drops and hits them and makes the splatter, if you will, like you see in all the movies with the splatters on the wall. Now you stabbing somebody that violently over and over again think about it each time you slam it in you have blood that's coming out and then you have the blood that catches up to it and makes splatter and each time you yank it out it's the same thing you're still going to have some blood that's moving slower than the blood behind it so it's good that's just a bloody mess right so i, I told y'all I was, it was going to be graphic but i wanted to describe it for a reason because Rhonda Lambert stabbed this man over and over and over again. And then she has a presence of mind to cover him up to his neck. And then she goes, she, I know for a fact that she didn't show up at Canal Bank Club covered in blood, right? When she made out with that guy until she beat him and left him for dead. And then she gets picked up by the other guy on the road and goes to his house and has sex with him. She didn't have any blood on her. So she had to be covered in blood and from that vicious of a stabbing. And so she had to go take a shower and shower and take her time and get dressed. And man, that guy said when she walked in that door, she said she was so beautiful. Right. And so she did her hair and did her makeup and got dressed and, Hell, Mr. Perry's dead in the bed. I mean, she just brutally just murdered the shit out of him. So she's getting dressed, and she goes out, and she does what she does, right? And then ultimately goes on the run back to Mississippi. So the cause of death, and as I've already stated, was the multiple stab wounds. And it's just a really, really violent crime. I mean, you know, you shoot somebody, that's one thing. But when you take the time to just repeatedly, with such force and violence, hit him, 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 hit him. I think that was 10, right? Could have been 27. Anyway, the chief of police in Brookhaven, Mississippi, who is Chief Pap, PAP Henderson, went to Rhonda's family. And was able to get her to agree to come in to talk about the aggravated second-degree battery charge. Now, when she does, he notifies Livingston Parish detectives, leave ones on the case, and they go up there and they go to do the interview and they advise of her rights. And they start out talking to her about the guy at the bar, and and, and she wasn't real clear on that part. But then they, they were like, okay, you know, where do you live and Who do you live with? And she said, I live with Russell Perry. I live on the island. And they said, well, do you know where Mr. Perry is? And ultimately, she says that she just cut on Mr. Perry a little bit, that she didn't kill him. She just cut on him a little bit, and then she went out that night. Well, the autopsy proved it was a hell of a lot more than a little bit of cutting. But they arrested her on my aggravated second-degree battery warrant and brought her back and then ended up charging her with the murder of Mr. Perry because she put herself there at, at the scene. She said that she cut on him a little bit, which is, I guess, her way of minimizing what she actually did, the horrific violence of the crime. And they bring her back and book her in to the Livingston Parish Jail. And ultimately, a Livingston Parish grand jury Indicted Rhonda Rose Lambert for the second degree murder of Russell Perry. And that's what she was charged with. Now, second degree murder in the state of Louisiana is a mandatory life sentence with no probation, no parole. So you automatically know you're going to trial because no defense attorney is going to plead their client to a straight life without the possibility of parole you have a free shot right and again they go through the process and like they always do emotions suppress her statements which like i told y'all in previous episodes that's a free shot for the defense so they're hoping somebody gets on the stand and screws something up and they can get it overturned but what they're really doing at this point is trying to fish and see exactly how much information the prosecution has or what they have it's almost like a free mini episode of how the prosecution is going to proceed at trial so it's a, it's a win-win for the defense really but of course it was denied they did it by the book and all her other pre-trial motions were denied and it came time for trial and she decided to have a bench trial or a judge a trial by judge she waived her right to a jury trial or trial by her peers, and it's probably the smartest thing she ever did. She had the bench trial, and her defense was that, or her story was that her and Russell Perry met when they were in a drug rehab center together, and they formed a relationship and moved into his place on the island when they got out of drug rehab. Now, Rhonda Lambert says That Russell Perry was abusive to her through their entire relationship, like very abusive to her. She didn't dispute the murder charge. She said that she was insane. All right. She pled not guilty by reason of insanity, but she still went before the judge for the, the bench trial. Her defense was that Mr. Perry physically attacked her. Ainly raped and sodomized her and injured her cat before she stabbed him. All right. So <laughs> let me digress again. She pled not guilty. And then she also pled not guilty by reason of insanity. But her defense was that she, he raped her and sodomized her. So vaginally and orally, or combination thereof, and then anally raped her, and well, the one that gets me y'all, and injured her cat. Right? Okay. So before she stabbed him, hmm. Interesting, interesting defense. Right? I'm not only not guilty. I'm not guilty because I'm crazy, and I did it because he raped me. Then he anally raped me, but. He also hurt my cat. Now, I don't have anything against cats, but if somebody that's bigger than me, and like I said, she was tiny, tiny, and I think he's like, uh, Perry was like 5'11 or something like that, and he was 40 years old and pretty big guy. If he rapes her, ever which way you can be raped, but then, hey, he hurt my cat, and so I stabbed him. Well... Evidence doesn't support that. I don't know. I don't know if he raped her, I and mean, she may be telling the truth about that. I, I don't know. And I damn sure don't know if he hurt her cat, but I know she stabbed his shit out of him and so many times and so violently. And that's why I recreated y'all earlier. I wasn't trying to sensationalize it. I want you to understand. I mean, you see things in movies and stuff, but this is real life, real crime. And I'm telling you how it really happens, right? That it, let's say it was the 10 stab wounds. That is. Vicious, and it takes so much force. And then, like I said, she had the presence of mind to shower and get dressed up and prettied up, and go to the bar and go to the canal bank. But she was found guilty, and but the judge came back and found her guilty of manslaughter instead of second degree murder. Now, manslaughter in, in the state of Louisiana carries a maximum of a 40 year sentence okay which is i mean it's a great win for her at least it wasn't life without parole but the judge came back judge bruce bennett i believe it was and gave her manslaughter or taking into account her story that she was anally and vaginally raped and i guess that he hurt her cat and by, and i, I guess that the prosecution didn't put on or I mean, nobody could say any different than what Rhonda rose lambert was saying because nobody else was there i mean it was it was Rhonda rose lambert and mr russell perry and evidently a cat but and the cat couldn't testify so the judge finds her guilty of manslaughter And manslaughter is when you kill someone and it's not premeditated. There's no forethought in it. That's what the Louisiana definition of law. And you didn't plan things out ahead of time. basically kind of like a heat of passion thing, right? So the judge gave her that, and he comes back, and he sentenced her to the maximum, 40 years, at Louisiana Correctional Institute for Women in St. Gabriel, Louisiana. So... That's where she goes, right? But she appeals and she says the court got it wrong that they should not have sentenced her to the maximum under manslaughter for the state of Louisiana because she had such extenuating circumstances, which included her long history of narcotics use or poly narcotics use, which means many. She used all kinds of different drugs and her. Long History of Mental Illness. Now, I'm going to talk about that for a second. There were two different shrinks that testified at the trial. The state expert witness, Dr. Jose Arsatona, a psychiatrist, and he testified that Lambert knew right from wrong at the time of the offense. He also acknowledged that her 20-year history of mental illness, borderline personality disorder, and a significant problem with polysubstance dependence. And he testified that there were factors of support to find the defendant had an altered state of mind at the time of the fence, but she wasn't crazy. I mean, she knew enough from right from wrong. Okay, Even though she could have been under the influence or off her meds or whatever, she still was sane. Now, a doctor David Hale, a psychologist, stated that Rhonda Rose Lambert was sane at the time of the offense. He noted that the defendant has a great deal of remorse and guilt and was in a severely abusive relationship with the victim. The defendant, Rhonda Rose Lambert, argued that the trial court failed to give serious attention to his own factual findings and testimony of the state's expert witnesses. So what she's saying, y'all, is that she should not have got the 40 years because they were basically mitigating circumstances that showed that even though she was sane at the time of it, but she had a history of drug abuse and mental illness, and supposedly Russell Perry was violent to her. And when the judge gave the lesser count of manslaughter, it meant that trial court is stating in some way she was provoked, and that took away the second degree murder and it made it manslaughter, right? When the judge gave the sentence, he told her, he said, it was a cold blooded murder. And part of her appeals process, she objects to that. And his statement saying that, and due to, like I said, the state's own witnesses that she was sane, but she had been in a a supposedly abusive relationship and she had some other mitigating circumstances. But like the drug use and the, the mental illness, but th- that wasn't, she still was sane enough. So she appealed it on those grounds and she lost. So she's doing the 40 years at LCIW. Within Louisiana, if she's a good little inmate, then she'll get what they call good time. And basically in the state of Louisiana, it can be one for one, which means for every day that she behaves herself, and she does the time, then she can get a day off her sentence um, when it comes to the pro part, right? So basically a 40-year sentence could be 20 years, and she can get out. And I'm sure she is a good inmate. I'm going to tell you why. And this is an extra part, if you will. But the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office had the best – correctional officer I've ever met now I started my career at Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola then Dixon Correctional Institute and then another juvenile facility etc so I, I had a lot of jail time a lot of experience but they had a lady that worked there a correctional officer named Karen Ortolano and she's that's a strong Cajun spin on the name but I, I called her Mama karen i mean she was such a sweetheart but she ran the control room and she ran the front the day-to-day and she supervised the girls dorm but she also every inmate that came and left that jail whether it was somebody that was being booked in for a dwi or murder or if they got out in four hours or 14 months she saw them daily and nobody came or went without her having personal interaction with them. Now, personally, she should have been the warden in my book, right? But she loved her job, What she did, running the control room and running things from up front. And wardens did come and go and were replaced, but she never was. And she just retired last year. So congratulations, Karen, on being retired. And I really hope you, you're enjoying yourself. But back to it, Karen started listening to real life, real crime, the podcast, even though she knew these guys, right? She knows all the cases. She spent way more time interacting with the bad guys in in my cases than I ever did. And I hit her up and we were messaging back and forth. And I asked her about Rhonda Lambert. I said, can you tell me some extra scoop on her so I could put it in the episode? And she said, absolutely. She said she was the sweetest, nicest most polite person in the world when she was medicated she said when she wasn't on her meds it was hell i mean she was just extremely off the wall now when she first got there she wasn't on her meds so they were dealing with her and, and she was locked up in isolation etc and the nurse cheryl smith whose husband is a state trooper, and I think he just got to retire last weekend. Marcus Smith is his name. He's a great guy, a good Christian man. And Marcus, if you're listening, congratulations on your retirement. But Cheryl was just as good of a nurse as I've ever met, and she was able to work with Rhonda Lambert to get her meds right. Uh, That's what Karen told me. And said once her meds were right, not only was she just like the perfect inmate, but she ran the girl's dorm or the girl's wing of the prison. And she didn't put up with any stuff. And she really helped out the correctional officers on the day-to-day life of it. Right. I mean, she put people in their place and, and, you know, she ran things for them, almost like a inmate guard, absolutely no trouble. Karen said, but she said that Rhonda Rose Lambert told them that when she's off her meds, she gets extremely violent. She remembered one time attacking a lady somewhere in a restaurant with a ketchup bottle and that she kind of freaked out because she thought it was blood everywhere where she was beating the lady, but, but actually it was the ketchup bottle that had broken. But Karen said that when she was on her meds, she was straight and a good inmate. Karen also said she heard from her after she was shipped for the department of corrections to the LCIW Louisiana Correction Institute for women would hear from her from time to time and she would write or whatever. And you have to remember Lambert spent a lot of time there and they interact with people day to day. And let me tell you about Karen Ortolano. She didn't care. She didn't judge people for what they were in for. She treated them how they treated her. If, if they showed her respect, she showed them respect. But let me tell you something. You don't want to take that Cajun woman's kindness as a sign of weakness because she had put it on you. I mean, I've come in with, Plenty of people over the years that were violent and under arrest. We had to fight inside the jail, and she was right there, and right there in the mix, rolling on the floor, doing what had to be done to bring the situation under control. She was one tough lady. You do not want to mess with her. But she treated everybody fairly, and she got a lot of respect for that. And I think that's why she was able to – maintain these relationships or whatever they had such respect for her after they left that they would contact her and let her know how they were doing. But she said that Rhonda said when she first got in the department of corrections, they had her med screwed up and she had some violent outburst, if you will, et cetera. But they finally got it right and she's doing her time. So that's the way it is, I guess. So thanks Karen for the information on, on Rhonda, the extra stuff. So, and always hearts go out to the victim's family. Okay, y'all, so that brings us to this episode's rating on the sphincter scale. And it, as you know, if you've been a listener of Real Life, Real Crime sphincter scale is where we rate the bad guy or girl on a scale from one to ten sphincters one being barely should be in trouble to ten being at the highest end of the chart and then murder by you as if they shouldn't live and i thought about ronda rose lambert uh quite a bit on this one y'all because i mean it was just absolutely vicious 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 murder and that's where I get the title overkill. It's two part. One, because she stood over him or sat over him when she did the stabbings. The overkill is simply, you don't have to stab somebody that many times to kill him, right? Uh, Especially when he wasn't even responding to defend himself. But then she has a presence of mind to get dressed and go out and try to have sex with one guy before she attacked him and then had sex with another guy. And I believe if that guy hadn't, given in and taken her to Hammond the next day. She probably would have killed him too and took his vehicle, but the medications do play a factor in it. Even the state's own witnesses, the doctor said that she has mental illness, but not to the level that she didn't know where she was doing right from wrong. And she wouldn't have ran. I mean, people who are truly crazy, they just sit there and... and wait for you covered in the blood till you you find them and catch them because they don't know what they did is wrong so they're not trying to hide anything etc but Rhonda Lambert from what Karen Ortolano says is when she's medicated she's good and sane but the problem is this wasn't her first rodeo she had charges out of Mississippi for being extremely violent and I don't know I'm thinking like I mean, just because it's it's a homicide and so brutal, et cetera, I'm thinking I've got to go with at least like seven and a half to eight. Let's say the circumstances are true that this guy beat on her and raped her and I can't say hurt her cat because I really don't give a – shit about that. I mean, that's never an excuse to kill anybody. I don't I don't understand the mitigating circumstances on hurting a cat. That just blows my mind that somebody would even bring that shit up in court. But I'm saying seven and a 7.5 to 8 because it's horrible naturally for the family, the victim's family, and even her own family now that she's locked up for 40 years because Karen Ortolano said her family were the best people. They came every week for visitation. That's probably a Two and a half, three hour drive from where they live in Brookhaven, Mississippi to that jail, to Livingston Parish Jail. So I'm going seven and a half to eight. Y'all let me know what you think. And patron members call it in on the Real Life, Real Crime Hotline. You have the number now. We've got some really interesting calls in since we released it. And so just let us know what you think. I'd be curious to see the difference in opinions on this one that's going to conclude this episode of Real Life Real Crime the podcast and I'm Woody Overton your host and hope you enjoyed it y'all and if you didn't then you didn't send me a message become a patron member and you can call it in on the hotline and I'm up for constructive criticism but if you liked it let me know that too and, and like it and share it and we appreciate y'all Thank you for listening. Till next week. Goodbye.
0: me but oh, no.